Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. Tragedy does not always mean an end. Sometimes it means a new beginning. Let me say that again, guys. I want you to feel the weight of that. Tragedy in our lives doesn't always mean an end. Sometimes it means a new beginning. I think of a young man by the name of Ted Ward, and Ted Ward had the ideal life. Ted, Ted's story spoke to me because Ted, he married his high school sweetheart. He worked as a school teacher and a tennis coach in the hometown of Taos, New Mexico. And my family being from Taos, this, this story just jumped out. And there he was, and he was also a father of two beautiful, beautiful daughters. And there he was, just living the life. If you've ever been to Taos, you see how beautiful the mountains are. and It's just gorgeous in Taos. Well, Ted, Ted was living the dream, as you can imagine. Suddenly, everything changed. You know, what happened to Ted? Well, first of all, he got news that his brother... His brother died in a shipwreck in Alaska, and that devastated him a little bit. And then, and then Ted found out that his wife, Leslie, was diagnosed with cancer, and she passed away after two years of struggle with the disease. Well, after adjusting, as you can imagine, Ted adjusting to what being a dad, a single dad of two daughters, he got, if you will, the worst devastating news you could ever imagine. It was that call none of us want to get. And what it was is his two daughters and his mother-in-law were killed in a car accident. Ted, Ted is, is, is broken. He was, this was unfathomable. He was in agony. How could so much tragedy happen to one man? Ted recalls, quote, everything was so sharp, so painful. It was more than just salt in the wound. Everywhere I looked, I saw Carrie, Amy, Leslie, Richard. He said, my life. Ted left house, and he found his way to Hawaii, and he remembers sitting on the beach there trying to make sense of, of the unthinkable string of all the calamities. He's sitting there going, are you kidding me? He explains that he felt numb and without purpose. He contemplated swimming past the ocean waves and never coming back. I think we can relate to that at times. He says, if this agony is what the rest of my life is going to be, then I need to be done with my life. Well, he checked himself into a treatment center for alcohol and drugs, even though he didn't either. You go, Ben, what are you saying? He figured his daughters were the drugs that he was craving and he needed help with withdrawal. While his time there helped him move past his suicidal thoughts, an unexpected byproduct of his, vis, of his visit there proved even more valuable. He says, why, aren't, why weren't there places where you could go and say, I'm lost, I'm scared, I'm frozen? So guess what he did? He started one, and he channeled this tragic pain into a newfound passion for helping others dealing with similar trauma. The death of Carrie, Amy, Leslie, Richard are so such an amazing part of the fuel that gives him passion to do what he does. Ward says, due to these experiences of deaths, I get to help others. At the same time, I get to help myself. He goes on to say, it was a new beginning. A new beginning. You go, Ben, what does this have to do with Genesis chapter 7? Well, I believe, guys, if you listen to the story well enough, I believe it il it, it, this story illustrates what is tragically happening in all of chapter 7. You go, what do you mean? Well, see, we see in verse 13, though, in the midst of tragedy, we actually see a new beginning, and, 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 and I'll explain that in just a minute, but, but let me just go back in a minute and kind of, uh, let me just explain the text. Remember what we talked about last week? In the first part of chapter 7, as we make our way verse by verse, here's what we learned. We learned that God was not happy what was happening down on earth. 
If you, call, here's, if you recall, here's what the Word of God says. In Genesis chapter 6, 12 and 13, it says, God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt. Why, Lord? For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come up before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Guys, in Genesis chapter 6, things aren't good on earth. And the God that created us looked down and he said, oh, no, man is corrupt. Man is it's destructive. It's, it's hurtful. It's, and, of course, we learned last week in Genesis chapter 7, he gives us an account of what we would call a worldwide flood in which only eight people survived. Eight of course, we know this. If you're taking note, guys, the ark, it's a type of Jesus. The ark is a type of Jesus. The flood, the water is a type of God's judgment. A judgment on who? An unbelieving and wicked world. And then in verse 1 of chapter 7, we learn three things that we could apply to our lives. If you recall last week, we remember that God is a personal God. He employs the word Jehovah. He doesn't employ the word Elohim. It's Jehovah. He's very personal. And sometimes we think, guys, and you've heard people say, well, God is a big God. He's up in heaven. He's got this spiritual billy club that he wants to hit me when he get, and I get out of line. And I'm just so afraid of this God in heaven. But that's not the word. He's, he's personal. He loves us. And he's, he's, got, he's, he's holding us in his hands. And he's got an unbelievable plan for our lives. If you'll just, well, that's what we learned in the Lord, Jehovah. The second thing we learned was something even more mind-blowing, something even more incredible. You go, what's that, Ben? That God invites Noah and his family into the ark. God, Noah, he built an ark. Yes, sir. And he builds it. He builds it specifically. And then he says, Noah, come on in. He doesn't say, okay, now you build it. Get in there, Noah. Do what I say. Because God always invites us in. God is never going to, he's never going to, guys, listen, force his love on any one of us. He invites us into a relationship. I and mean, we learned, guys, what would the world look like if, we, if everyone had accepted that wonderful invitation of a personal relationship with God? What, if, what would the world look like if your boss really loved Jesus and he had a relationship and you, and you could talk to him and you could still do your job and it wasn't, oh, you're a Christian, I can take advantage of you. Oh, you're a Christian, you're a lazy. I mean, we see that all across the board, but what would our world look like if everyone accepted the invitation that Jesus gives. Oh, pastor, when did Jesus give an invitation? See, guys, Jesus being born is that invitation into a relationship with God. Guys, the people in the Old Testament didn't have a relationship with God the way we do. We didn't have, they didn't have that. We have that. And there are people go, I got an invitation. Now I have a choice. What's my choice? I can accept it or reject it. Well, what if I reject it? Then you made a choice. No, I didn't choose. Yes, you did. Hey, are you choosing to have a relationship with the God that created you? And if you are, what does that relationship look like? What is that relationship? Are you, are you spending time? Are you nurturing that relationship? Are you growing? Do you, know his, do you hear his voice? Is he talking to you? You go, whoa, that's crazy. The third thing we learned, guys, is that Noah was saved, how, guys? By faith. He was saved by faith. He was considered righteous. He was saved by faith. Why? Because it took faith, number one, to build the ark, but it also took faith to go into the ark. It took faith. Why? Think about what we believe. Think about you and I as believers. What do we believe? We believe the craziest thing by faith, but we believe it. You go, what do you mean? We believe that a young girl named Mary got impregnated by the Holy Spirit and gave birth to the Messiah. We're going to celebrate Christmas. We believe that. That's crazy. You're telling me the Holy Spirit came, and then she was pregnant. Joseph's going, what is this? What did you do? Are you two-timing me? No, 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 Joseph, calm down, bro. Listen, this is God. This is God in the flesh coming to save all mankind. We believe that. We believe Genesis 1. God created the heaven. It just didn't happen. There ain't no big bang in what we believe. We believe God created the heavens and the earth. We believe that. Do you know what you look like to an unbelieving world? You're cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. You're crazy. You kidding me? You believe this? We believe this because it took faith. And that faith is the same faith that saves us. And the same faith that saves us is the same faith that sustains us in our walk every single day. Can I get an amen?
I get an amen. Amen. So that's what we learned. Noah was saved by faith. He got in the ark. Let's go back real quick, guys, and take a quick look. Look at me at Genesis chapter 7, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Noah, oh, thank you, Lord, that you still talk to us. Then the Lord said to Noah, come into the ark, you and all your household, because I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Come on in. This is a great invitation. Now, this evening, guys, we're going to continue looking at the verses 13 through 24. Now, I'm calling this message, if you're taking note, it's a new beginning. It's a new beginning. For tonight, we discover, right, that even in the midst of the heaviness of these verses, we learn that God is a God of new beginnings. God is a God of fresh starts. You see, for eight people, the whole world, right, there's a whole new world on the horizon. It's a new beginning. Now, here's my hope. Here's my hope that we would purpose to have the right perspective in life and when life seems hopeless. Because there are going to be tragedies in our life. There are going to be trials in our life. There are going to be things that are simply hurtful. And I want to have the right perspective. I believe going through the word that we can gain that right perspective. Why? Because our God, listen to me, guys. If you get nothing else out of this message, get this. Our God is a God of new beginnings. He's a God of new beginnings. And quite honestly, let us remember that in life, there are going to be times when we feel like it's a major setback. Anybody ever feel that in life? But with God... It's not a setback. It's more like a setup for a great comeback. Because that's who God is. That's who God is. And he wants you to move forward in victory. In victory. So that's where we pick up our story. Feel the heaviness of chapter 7. Much like Ted's story, we pick it up in verse 13. You guys with me? He says, on that very same day, Noah, Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, and Javith, and Noah's wife, we'll call her Mrs. Noah, and the three wives of his sons were with them, and they entered the ark. Now, no, this is a continuation of what's being said. He says, on the same day. So when we look at that, we go, on the same day, we must ask, what is happening? Well, in verse 10, I want you to know, it said, it came to pass after seven days that the waters of the flood were on the earth. Okay, so on this day, water is now on the earth. Water is raining. It's coming up from the earth. God says, hey, Noah, family, come into the ark. On the same day, all eight people entered the ark. Now, let me just give you a little bit real quick. We'll talk about it more in the next couple of weeks. If you're taking notes, we know that he says Noah and his wife. Noah and his wife get in the ark. Noah and Mrs. Noah. Okay, what does Noah mean? Noah means rest. But he also has a son. His first son is named Shem. Shem has a wife. We don't know who she is, but his name actually means name, which is interesting. Shem means name. You're right. So what did you name him? I named him name. What are you going to call him name? Well, that's his name, Shem, and he has a wife. Who's his wife's name? I don't know. But here's what I want you to jot down. Most people believe that he settled in Asia. That's where his descendant is the Asian part of the world. That's where Shem went. Then he had another son, and his name is Ham, right? Ham, Ham, his name means warm or hot, which is interesting, right? Warm or hot. He has a wife. We don't know what his wife named, but most scholars believe that he settled in Africa, Africa, okay? In some translations, if you look it up, it says that his name, it means hot or burning, and he settled in Africa. Interesting, interesting, is it not? And then the third son, the third, third son is Japheth, and he has a wife. And Japheth's name means God will enlarge. God will enlarge. And we don't know much about this until we get to chapter 9 and chapter 10, but we know that he settled in Europe. So if you're taking note, you've got Asia, Africa, and Europe, right? Because all we have right now is eight people. That's all we got, eight people. And now they're going to repopulate the world. That's where we are. So, again, we say, on the very same day, water everywhere, Noah, Noah's sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth, and Noah's wife, on all three of the wives of his son, they entered the ark. Look at verse 14. 
They and every beast after its kind, all cattle after their kind, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth after its kind, every bird after its kind, every bird of every sort. And they went into the ark to Noah, two by two of all flesh, which is the breath of life. And so those that entered male and female of all flesh went in as God had commanded them. Notice this, and the Lord shut him in. Okay, so verses 14 through 17 just gives us a preview of what we've already talked about. Two by two, remember they were clean animals, they were unclean animals, and God is just going, listen, this is who's in the ark. We have eight people. Everybody say eight. But then we have all kinds of creeping things, right? We have cattle and we have, we have all kinds of stuff. We have birds and, and of every sort and, and they all go into the ark. And they all go into the ark, male and female. And all flesh went in as God had commanded them. Now, verse 17 is key. Why? Because notice what it says. And the Lord shut him in. I want you to close your eyes for just a moment. Picture this humongous ark, okay? Now, Noah's inside. I don't think Noah said, okay, pull. It was actually God who actually shut the, the door. I said, go in the ark. You got, you got plenty of work to do. He says, God shut him in. Now, here's what I like about this. Here's what I like. Let's, let's, let's unpack it. I want you to catch this. The statement, God shut him in, is twofold depending on where you stand. Check it out. Check it out. Listen. It literally means, okay, jot this down, covered him round about. That's what it means. Covered him round about, Okay. The shutting him in means that God covered him in divine care and protection. That's what it means, okay? God says, listen, go ahead. I've got you. You're okay. You're not going to be hurt. You're going to be saved. You're going to be saved. Go in the ark. That's what it means, okay? But here's the thing. It can also mean to those who didn't believe, listen to me, boom, the season of grace was over. The moment God shut the ark, that season of grace is over. Think about it, guys. Think about it. Let that feel the weight of your heart. There you are. Listen, in an unbelieving world, you see this ark. You see the door being shut. That grace is done. It's over. Wow. You go crazy, right? That's that's crazy. Now... I want you to think about this in our own lives, okay? Think about this. Everybody, fast forward to 2018, okay? As a fully devoted follower of Jesus, can I get an amen? We are covered with his divine care and protection. That's who we are. Listen, if Jesus doesn't come back soon, we're all going to take our final on this earth, okay? We're, we're, this is what's going to happen. If Jesus doesn't come back for us, this is going to happen. And here's what happened. When we all take our final breath, as a fully devoted follower of Jesus, we will enter into the joy of his rest. Why? Because we're, we're protected. We're protected. He's got us. He's got us. So how old are you? Doesn't matter. God's got me. Well, how are you feeling? Doesn't matter. God's got me. It's, I'm under his divine care. Why? Because I'm a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Now, why do I say fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ? Because, there's, because, because guys, we, we need to move from just simply being attenders, right, or simply calling ourselves Christians to being disciples. We have to move. We have to do this. We want to be disciples of Jesus Christ. We want to know. We want to be disciplined under who he is, under the word of God. And so God says, okay, this is what we're going to do. Okay, so, so when you go, and I get that phone call, or maybe you get that phone call, right? Either way, Pastor Ben is gone. Or you say, Pastor Ben, so-and-so is gone. Then I know that you're going to be entering into the joy of his rest. And I know that, guys, that, that, that heaven is a much better place. There'll be no tears and no pain and no sorrow. And we'll see our loved ones that have gone before us waiting for us. Oh, you won't believe this place. And what you should be doing at that point is going, I love you, but I need to see Jesus. Because heaven isn't heaven without Jesus. That's the love we need to have for him, guys. That's the love. Unbelievable, undeniable love for Jesus. So that no one, no one can, so we don't ever compromise our walk. And I'm I'm guilty at times. I go, God, I don't even know if I love you the way I want to love you. 
and I struggle with, I mean, I want to love you, and I need to love you, and I need to love you in an uncompromising way. And then I find myself, you guys know the story, you know what happens to us. That's the first part. But listen, listen, if, if you're listening to this, and you're not a fully devoted follower of Jesus, listen to me. When you take your final breath on earth, that means your season of grace is over. It's the same thing. That season of grace is over. There are no second chances after this life. Grace is done. I I wonder, guys, I wonder how many people who are in the pit of hell right now who did not believe, who did not follow Jesus, are crying out for mercy and grace. You go, Ben, that's, that's deep, man. That's the, I didn't come to Wednesday night to get like. But think about it. That season is over for them. And so if it's over for them, it's not over for us. Why? Because as long as we have breath, there's hope. And we're in that season of grace. How long that is? Well, our job is to go out and, and share to the unbelieving folks that season of grace. One day, guys, the Lord, the Lord is going to come from heaven and take his bride And just like we learned last week, God's grace will still be around. You guys remember for about a week. Remember, he said, okay, get ready. I'm going to close this up in a week. He gave him seven more days. Well, we know that when Jesus comes for us, there'll be seven years. And God's grace will still be there. But then one day, God's going to bring judgment. He's going to bring judgment. My thought is this. Which one sounds better to you? Resting in the finished work of the cross or the other one? The other one. In verse 17, it says, Now the flood was on the earth 40 days, and the waters increased, notice this, guys, and lifted up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. Guys, if you have a pencil handy or or highlighter, verse 17 just stood out big time. And you go, why? Think about it. Right now, what the, what the, what the author wrote, we'll just say Moses, he said the ark lifted up off the ground. Lifted up. You guys see that? Lifted up, right? He lifted up. Water everywhere. People probably perishing. And it reminded me of something Jesus said. Jesus said, guys, in our John study, if you recall, in John chapter 12, verse 32, he says, if I, if I am lifted up from the earth, oh, wait a minute, Ben, that's, that parallels the ark, doesn't it? He says, I will draw all peoples to myself. What's the difference? The ark was already closed. Ark was already closed. It's being lifted up. I can't get in. Are you kidding me? What's going to happen? We know what's going to happen. It's death. It's death. But with Jesus, he says, if I am lifted up, I'm going to draw all peoples to myself and people can get saved. You can say, big difference. Big difference. And the ark is being lifted up. The ark is being lifted up. But this is not a pretty, guys, this is not a pretty picture for mankind. Guys, let's, let's take a brief look in verse 18. It says, the waters prevailed and greatly increased on the earth, and the ark moved about on the surface of the waters, and the waters prevailed exceedingly on the earth, and all the high hills and under the whole heaven were covered. Now, here's what you guys need to know. You need to write this down in your Bible. This is a, go- this is a global flood. This is a universal flood. Right? Some people will come and go, no, see, it was just a it was just a, a local localized flood right there. No, it was it was a global flood. And the Bible declares to you and I that even the mountains were underwater. That's a that's a lot. Here's my thought. My thought is if God filled up the whole earth with water, he actually had to hold it because think about it. Right now it's under perfect balance. With the ocean and the land and everything and the polar axis, I mean, it's. But when God flooded it, He actually probably, my opinion, it doesn't say okay, but He probably had to hold it because the floodwaters are above all over the earth. Of course, God could do that. God could do that. Not a problem. Growing up in New Mexico, guys, there were there were mountains. We you go to Albuquerque and there's a sandia and they're high. And, and actually, Cindy is the longest tram ride up. It's beautiful. Could you imagine that being underwater? 
right? In Lubbock, we, we, we don't really understand that because everything's so flat. I mean, if you turn on your sprinklers, we could be underwater. I mean, that's how bad it is. I mean, we're so flat. I mean, it's, but mountains, mountains, hills, underwater, the whole, everything was covered. And you go, yeah, yeah, that's, that's a, and, and it says in verse 20, look what it says in verse 20. The waters pre- prevailed 15 cubits upwards and the mountains were covered. You go, what does that mean? Check this out. Jot this down. 22 and a half feet above the summits of the highest hills. So not only were the mountains covered, yeah, we went 22 and a half feet above that. Now, from the ground here on the sanctuary to the roof is about 17 feet. So the water was 22, a little bit higher than the highest mountain. You're just like, wow, that's, that's deep, right? There you go. That's deep. Now, how do you know, Ben, it was a global flood? Well, let's do some work, okay? Because the phrase here indicates a universal flood. The promise found in chapter 9, 11 and 15 actually confirms this. So if you don't mind, just, just kind of look over Genesis chapter 9, verse 11. We'll take a quick look. He, we'll, we'll study this next week or in a few weeks. It says, thus I establish my covenant with you, he says. Never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. So it indicates and confirms it took everyone out. And then jump down to verse 15. He says, and I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living living creature of all flesh. The water shall never again become a flood to destroy all the flesh. Quick question, right? Quick question in church. What's the covenant? What's the sign of the covenant that God would never flood the earth again? You guys are sharp. You guys are sharp. A beautiful rainbow. Anytime you see a rainbow, praise God. He's not going to flood the earth. That's what he says. And then look, notice what he says in, in 2 Peter 2.5. He says, and did not spare the ancient world. There they are. He said, but save Noah, one of a, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. And Second Peter, Peter writes in verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 6, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with the waters. What's he saying? He's confirming, guys, that this was a worldwide universal flood, and we don't have a clue. We don't get it because we weren't there. It's like, wow, wow. You see, it wasn't just raining 40 days a night, although it was raining 40 days a night. Guys, up from the ground, water was gushing all around in judgment. In judgment. Guys, let this, let this sink in for just a moment because I put on my notes, wow. I mean, I just can't, I can't, I can't imagine. Uh, this, this, the Sandia Mountains are, are probably the highest mountains I know around here and 22 feet above that, let's just say 20, I mean, you know, I'm not talking about Everest and everything else, but think about it. And, and, and here's, what, here's what I want you to think on. The human race at that moment was reduced to one single family. Isn't that mind-blowing? Not a whole lot of singles here, but um, it's a good indication. You, need to, you just need to be careful who you marry, right? <laughs> you be careful who you marry. I'm thinking these girls are like, I married, I married him. He's not all that great, but I'm saved, right? We, got, we just be careful who you marry, right? Because of these girls, anyway, that's, never mind. I'm just, I'm just kidding. Just, I'm just kidding. I don't know if you noticed it in the text, but you might be thinking, Ben, I, I understand ungodly. I know what Peter said. They were ungodly. God looked down. It was corrupt. It was, it was smelly nostrils ugh, rising up. But why do you have to kill the cattle? Why do you have to kill all, all of that stuff? Right? Why do you have to call the kill the creeping things? Why did he, why did he, you know why did he kill the birds and the cattle, etc.? Well, that's a good question. Anybody was thinking that? Here's a good question. Here's why: If the Lord would have left the cattle, if He would have saved the cattle and so forth, they would have outgrown the population and overmastered the people on the earth. There would have been too many animals for each. It would have just they would have just overrun everything. And you go, well, really? Yeah, think about this, guys. You guys remember Joshua's conquest into Canaan, right? We call it the promised land. Moses dies, Joshua takes over. I'm taking him into the promised land. God is God. He can do anything. So why didn't he go and just wipe out all the Canaanites? Boom, 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 boom. Why was it a conquest? 
Same reason. It took Joshua seven years to take the land and divide it up to the 12 tribes. Why? Because the Bible says if he would have come in and God wiped out all the people, the animals would have just overrun everything, and the children of Israel wouldn't have been able to subdue the land. So he had to take one land at a time, one area at a time, and kill the animals and kill it and work through and then go to the next one and go to the next one. God knows what he's doing. Well, what's the application? Next time you're struggling, God knows what he's doing. Trust him. Trust him. Well, it doesn't all, it doesn't all work. Trust him. Trust him. Trust him. But here, back in our text, so he destroyed all the living things which were on the face of the ground, both man and cattle, creeping thing and the birds of the air, and they were destroyed from the earth. Only Noah and those who were with him in the ark remained alive. Who? Only Noah. Only Noah. Eight people survived the worldwide flood. Eight people. If you're thinking in your mind, there was some dude on the top of the mountain going, okay, I'm saved. It doesn't say that. It was 20. I mean, I, I know a lot of good swimmers, but listen, I wouldn't be one of them. I listen. I always thought if I ever got if I ever got thrown off somewhere in the ocean, like my wife can tread like for days. Okay, she she she'd live, and she'd marry somebody else, and be, I'd haunt them the rest of life. But for me, if I fell off, guys, I can't tread very long, and I would drown. And I'm just thinking, here it is. It's only eight people saved. Only eight people. Eight. And you're going okay. Then you you said that. Yeah, it says only Noah and those who were with him. In the ark remained alive. Well, the animals will remain. He's going to repopulate the animals and Noah. And then in verse 24 of our text, it says, And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. Do you guys see that? You go, yeah. The waters reached their highest point after 150 days. Now listen to me, which included the 40 days of constant rain. So you go, what does that mean? Here's what I want you to write down next to your Bible. This was five months. Five months, water was on the earth. Five months, there's Noah, right? Five months, right? There's the ark just kind of floating around. Five months, right? (laughs) I'm trying to put myself in Noah's and I'm thinking, what did they, five months, what did they do? What did they do? Right? Five months. Noah and his family lived in the ark. May I mention the smelly ark? I mean, it wasn't, you know, I mean, it was, whoo, okay. Five months. What were they doing? Guys, I could bet, and you could bet they were worshiping the Lord. They were worshiping the Lord. The extreme circumstances that were happening outside the ark, i.e. the waters, was causing Noah and his family to worship God. Because he knew that was judgment. Here's the point. Josh mentioned it a little bit on Sunday. Here's the point, guys. We're not under judgment, yet God, the world is being judged. And what that should do for us as saved believers is bring worship to our hearts. You're not hearing me. Listen, when we look at a world that's corrupt and it's dying, and, and, and if we're living in the days of Noah, right, this is what's happening as in the days of Noah, and we're saved, you're a fully devoted follower of God, what should that do to you? That should, that should bring spontaneous worship to the God that created us. And yet at times we'll give the obligatory golf clap for worship. Oh, that was good. Amen. Praise the Lord. Where, where did we lose it, church? Where did we lose it? I'm saved. What did you do to get saved? I just believed. What does that mean? I'm just going to worship the Lord. And how how do we worship the Lord? We worship the Lord in prayer. We worship the Lord in in music. We worship the Lord. I mean, let's worship the Lord, right? When we say something good and we say, praise the Lord, let's mean praise the Lord. Almost as Jesus is like, amen, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, brother, praise the Lord, brother. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Wow. Wow. My eternal destiny is secured. What should we say? Help me. Praise the Lord. Lord. We worship the Lord, guys. This is what's going on. Noah's Noah's five months he's worshiping. And here's the thing. Noah didn't have a cell phone. He wasn't distracted. He's got got to take care of the animals, but 
you know? I mean, every now and then he might peek his head out of the window. Do you see any dry land? I don't see any land. All right, let's continue to have. Noah and his family had church for five months. And we get upset that the pastor goes for 45 minutes. Five months. Think about it. That's what's going on. Here's, I'm going to put it into perspective. Five months, okay? What were you doing in August? You go, I don't know. That was five months ago. Exactly. Can you imagine? Since August, we're worshiping the Lord. We're, 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 just, we're seeing what's going on around us. Our hearts are breaking because we know that the world around us is gone. But we're worshiping God because we know we're safe. God, what, what do you have for us? What plan do you have for me? What is it? Oh, man, since August. I mean, I've had a birthday since August. We've did an outreach since August. I mean, we've had Thanksgiving. Think about it. That's a long time. Five months. They're just having a great time. What would we be doing if we had to live in the ark for five months? I think there's some things we can learn from Noah, right? There's at least three things. Jot this down. If we had to live in the ark for five months, we could live a life of devotion to God. Live a life of devotion to God. Nothing else matters in the ark, does it? Nothing else matters. I think he lived in deep faith in God. In deep faith. Why? Because God told Noah, Noah, I'm going to destroy the earth. This is how I'm going to do it. You're going to build me an ark. When you get inside, I'm bringing the flood. Noah's seen exactly what happened. Why? Because now his faith has become sight. He's seen it. And so that should, for us, cause a deeper devotion to God. Y'all ain't getting this because, I mean, it's, I mean, and then, and, then, and then last but not least, he didn't fear. He didn't fear. Why? Because he was in the ark. I think Ellen mentioned it and Josh mentioned it on Sunday, right? Isn't that what the enemy wants to do to us? He wants to cause fear. And the Lord says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I've got you. I got you. Scott, I got you. He says, don't be afraid. Lord, you don't understand. No, I do understand. I got you. Soph, I got you. I got you. I got you. Right, Mark? He's got us. He's got us. Don't fear. And although tragedy was all around him, Noah found grace in God's eyes, and he actually found a new beginning. And you might go, Ben, how is this a new beginning? Well, let's talk numbers, okay? Let's talk numbers. In God's economy, we see numbers mean things in the Word of God. You go, well, give me an example, okay? Write this in the num- no, number 40. You see that in Scripture, right? What is the number 40? Well, we know that, it, we know that there's 146 times in Scripture the number 40 generally summarizes, symbolizes a period of testing, trial, or probation, See, during like Moses' life, let's say, he lived 40 years in Egypt, 40 years in the desert before God selected him to lead his people out of slavery. The Bible told us even in our text that it rained how long? 40 days and 40 nights. So we see that's a time of testing or trial or probation. God's going to do that. That's the number 40. You go, what else? What about the number 12? What about the number 12? The meaning of 12, which is considered the perfect number, is that it symbolized God's power and authority as well as serving as a perfect governmental foundation. Foundation, the number 12. 12 what? 12 disciples. You know, there's 12 months in a year. I mean, we can can go on and on. But here's what I want to draw your attention to. I want to draw your attention to two specific numbers in our text today. What are they? Well, let's start with the last number. How how, How long were they on the ark? Help me. Five months. Five. Everybody say five. Five. What does five mean in in Scripture? Right? What does five mean in Scripture? Okay? Five is the number of grace and multiplied by itself, which is 25, which actually gives us grace upon grace. John chapter 1, verse 16. Boom. It's crazy. It's crazy. And how do we know it's grace? Well, look at verse 1 of chapter 8. Then God remembered Noah. After five months, God's like, hey, there he is. And every living thing and all the animals that were with him in the ark, and God made a wind to pass over the earth, and the water subsided. That's grace, guys. Five months, God's okay. Now, God wasn't like, I forgot about Noah. (laughs) Michael, what did you do? I forgot Noah. Noah's there. Got to do something. I was busy over here. No, he knew where Noah was. It's It's just grace. Five months. But what I really want to show you guys is a new beginning. 
You go, what do you mean? So, question time. You ready? Shout it out if you know it. How many people were uh, saved? How many people were in the ark? Eight, right? What does the number eight mean in the Bible? The number eight in the Bible represents a new beginning. You guessed it, a new beginning. It means a new order and a new creation. Listen, when I started to study the passage, that just jumped out like, like everything. It's like eight. God is, God is a God of new beginnings. Eight symbolized the circumcision of the heart through Christ and receiving the Holy Spirit. Those in Christ becoming new creation with godly character and being created by the power of God's Spirit. So I saw, wow, eight people were saved. Eight is the number of new beginnings. Let's talk about new beginnings, right? So we got to say goodbye to Genesis chapter 7. Okay, heavy verse, but, but let's see what Paul says about that, right? Paul is actually talking about in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Check it out. He says, therefore, Paul writes to the Corinthian church, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Be things, behold, all things have become new. Well, let's unpack this. Let's, let's, let's unpack this. This is crazy. Why? Because Paul's saying to us the same thing that we just read. How so? He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, what does it mean to be in Christ, guys? What does it mean? It means to be born again. And if I'm born again, something has to die. My old self died because I'm a new creation. I'm a new creator. That's what he's saying. He says, therefore, if you are in Christ, that means your old self died. Did you have a funeral for yourself yet? Pastor, that's weird. Think about it. I remember one time I was looking through the obituaries, I mean, years ago, and I saw my name in the paper. It was like, I was like, <gasps> it would just freak me out. It was somebody named Ben Martinez died in my hometown. I just, it threw me for, but it reminded me that's exactly what happened. I died because now I'm in Christ. You see, because when Jesus, when God comes back, I don't want him to see me. <laughs> I want him to see Jesus. I'm going to be found in Christ. And Paul said, okay, so I got to in Christ. So just like the flood, something had to die in order to produce a new beginning, right? Because he says, he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The word new in the Greek implies a new nature, quite different from anything previously existing, not merely recent. You know, what, is he, what did he just say? It, it says that, guys, that if you're a new creation, you're different. And that's where salvation comes in. Listen, you could come forward and you could say, Pastor, I prayed a prayer. I should be saved. No, no, no. Because words alone aren't sufficient to save. There should be something different in your life. Something should have changed. You're in Christ. You're different. You go, man, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that anymore. I don't understand that. I just... I used to crave, I used to crave the bottle. I used to crave the drug. I used to crave, the, I used to crave I, relationships and I used to be a player. I don't do that anymore. I just, I just want to get along with Jesus. I just want to get along with Jesus. That's, that's a new thing. He said, old things have passed away. What are the old things, guys? Selfish, carnal views of ourselves. Now, I've got to be honest with you. Sometimes our flesh, it rears its ugly head, right? Sometimes... Just me? Are we all, are we all selfish at times? Mm-hmm. It's like looking in the mirror, right? You look in the mirror and you say, hey, enough about you, enough about me. Let's talk about you. We're selfish. I mean, that's who we are. But it says that, that all those, listen to me, he says that that selfish carnal view of ourselves and other men and of Christ should be passed away. Here's what I like. I looked at passed away. It's like melting of snow. Didn't that ring a bell? Because we just had a bunch of snow on Sunday, and it's gone. Well, not all of it, but it's melting. I looked at my front yard. It's all gone. That's exactly what it should be. That old view of who you are should start to melt away. Melt away. I don't know why the Wizard of Oz witch came. I'm melting, right? I mean, isn't it? That, shouldn't that be our old nature, the Wizard of Oz witch? You know, I'm melting. When they threw water, that should be us. That's what he says. He says, all things have passed away. Because He says, all things have become new. The new has come. Okay, guys, let's close. Let's close this Bible study. Here's what I want to close, okay? Can I, can I just reel in the practical as, as Josh makes his way to the stage? Let's, let's reel in the practical. Don't, don't, don't put your Bibles away. Just keep listening. 
I'm thinking of chapter 7, and here's what I think. Tragedy does not always mean an end, does it? Sometimes it means a new beginning. And what I'd like to do as we close is, is just ask a couple of questions, if you don't mind. I'm thinking of Noah. Okay, close your eyes. I'm thinking of Noah. Noah is on the ark. He's got, he's got his three sons. He's got his wife. He's got their wives, eight people total. But all around him in the world is death. The stench is probably gross. He's seen judgment. God's word is true. Hallelujah. We're worshiping you, Lord. So the question we need to ask ourselves, guys, is what is in your life that has to die in order for you to start anew? What in your life, that, what, what is it that has to die? Is it an attitude? Is it something that rears its head every now and then? Is it, a, is it a, what we call a life-dominating sin? That has to go. That has to go because God wants to start a brand new Guys, is, 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 something, is it something you're holding on to that's not allowing you for the, the new freedom you have in Christ because you don't let it die? You won't let a memory die. You won't let the past go. You won't let a mistake go. That has to die so God can start anew. What is it in your life? What is it in my life? Can I just tell you this? Nobody thinks you're perfect. Nobody believes that you're perfect. We hold on to things in our lives, guys, mistakes that we've made that really has to die so that we can start anew. How about this? What are you allowing to live that's keeping you from all that God has for you? Maybe something has to die, but what are, you, what, are you, what are you allowing to live? It's kind of the same question, just worded differently. What am I allowing to live? Guys, think about this. Sometimes in life, we lose a relationship. And that is very, very painful. And sometimes, like, like our friend Ted from Taos, New Mexico... It was a tragedy, and it hurt, and he couldn't make up heads or tails of it, but he found a new beginning. Or maybe it's simply, guys, that, that, that the relationship is, is, needs to be broken off, right? Hopefully you never remember this, but you remember your first breakup? It hurt. You were devastated. But now we remember that God is doing a new thing. And he's wanting to give you a new beginning. What about this question, guys? What about this question? What tragedy in your life has happened, but now it's time for a new beginning? What tragedy has happened? You say, my God, my God is into new beginnings and he's into restoring all things. And you need to hear this message because the enemy wants to remind you of all the tragedy and all the junk and everything and every bad decision you ever made. And here for Noah and his family, it was a new beginning, a brand new world with new opportunities. Without Noah, we wouldn't have Jesus. And without Jesus, we wouldn't be saved. So maybe you're here tonight and you're going, Ben, I just need to let the Lord, I need, just need to allow the Lord to take and make a new beginning. I'm ready for a fresh start.
I need to let go of the past. I need to let go of the hurt. I need to let the Lord move. Because eight, eight is a new beginning. Which trips me out because if we do the old Julian calendar, everybody's all down on Mondays. And yet it's a new beginning, isn't it? A brand new, well, let's, let's just call Sunday a new day. A brand new, shiny, sparkly week. And that way Sunday doesn't get, and then Monday doesn't get a bad rap. But it's a new beginning. It's a new beginning. Father, we thank you for your word tonight, Lord, and the truth in your word. And Lord, my heart as we close, God, is to worship you, Lord, because we're saved. Because we're saved. And that we would sing from the top of our lungs. And that we would honor you and we would glorify you. And Lord, if we could, if we could minister to you in these next few minutes. Oh, how we love you. How we praise you. Oh, how we worship you. Oh, God, you are so good to us. May the God of peace comfort us and guide us and restore us. Father, one day we're going to die. Oh, but what a glorious new beginning that's going to be as we say goodbye to this earth and say hello to you in heaven. Lord, may we worship you tonight. We ask this in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Let's worship the Lord, guys. We've got a few minutes. Let's worship. Just worship the Lord. Just worship the Lord. Tell him how much you love him. Tell him how much you love him. Tell him how wonderful he is. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.